Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. You ought to be the wild crowd. I, I figure you ought to be the wild crowd. You got to sleep in late. How many of you enjoyed the extra hour and a half? Yeah. Yeah. You ought to be the crazy folks. If the early folks are the quiet folks, you ought to be the crazy folks. Come on, bump your neighbor and say, you ought to be the crazy folks this morning. Can't, can't, be, can't be tired. No excuses. No yawns. No, no falling asleep this morning. You've had plenty of sleep, right? And so we're glad that you're here and we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, well, we've been in this series called Old School. Uh, I've already declared to you that it is absolutely impossible to uh, live your life looking backwards. If you live your life trying to look backwards, you will never achieve everything that God has for you to achieve. You will just continue to wander. And so we've declared to you that although you cannot live your life backwards, you have to have a forward perspective and, and continually moving. In fact, the Word says that God wants us to move from glory to glory. That's a greater revelation, a greater revelation moving forward. At the same time, it is also essential at moments in our life to reflect back on where God has brought us from. We need to go back and reflect on things that God has spoken, things that God has done, so that we can continue to be thankful, and as we move forward, we have a perspective of our history and what he has said. And so in this series, we've been talking back through some of the messages. I began to pray and say, God, as a, as a body... What are some of the words that you've spoken over us? And, and, and we're kind of those moments in time where out of all the messages, all the Sunday mornings, all, all of our times together, that I really felt like you interrupted us almost and gave us a word that we should hang our hat on and remember and reflect on. And so we've been doing that over the last couple of weeks. And we're going to do the same this morning. This morning, uh, you, you will also need to know that many of these messages that I'm bringing back to you were parts of series. They were encapsulated in series, and so I don't have time to give you everything we talked about. I just have to give you one message out of the series, and I encourage you to go back and do your own digging to kind of get the context for where we were and what we were talking about. And we've uh, dug way back into 2007. We went back into 2011. I had no intention of being as current as I'm going to be with you this morning, but I really sensed that the Lord wanted us to deal with this message again and really feel like that as a body we need to grab hold of the truth that I shared with you in uh, February of 2012 uh, in this series. I did a series called The Big Bounce, and this morning I want to take you into part of that and, and reflect on some scripture. We're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to read one verse of Scripture there, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11, and then we're going to move into 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and we're going to reflect on a, an instance in David's life that I think will teach us some things. So 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11 says this, The ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says this, David consulted with all of his leaders, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, then David addressed the entire assembly of Israel. If it seems right to you and it is God's will. Now let me just stop there long enough to tell you that you should already know David's in trouble because he's got the order wrong. 
He stops and says, if it looks right to you guys and if it's God's will. I think David would have come out way ahead if he would have stopped and asked God first and then asked the people what. Oh, y'all don't even, y'all ain't even helping me. Y'all supposed to be the wild crowd. If, if David would have gotten the order right, then this story probably wouldn't end the way it's going to end. But because he was worried about what everybody else thought rather than checking with, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Y'all sleeping even at 11.30. So he says, if it seems right to you and it is God's will, let's invite all of our relatives wherever they are throughout Israel along with their relatives including their priests and Levites from their cities and surrounding pastures to join us. And let's bring the chest of our God back. The chest that was out of sight, out of mind during the days of Saul. In a different version, that little phrase there says this, And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. The entire assembly of Israel agreed. Everybody agreed that it was the right thing to do. So David gathered all of Israel together from Egypt's pond of Horus in the southwest to the pass of Hamath in the northeast to go and get the chest of God from Kirith-Jerim. Then David and all of Israel went to Balah, Kirith, Jerem, and Judah to bring back the chest of God, the cherubim throne of God, where God's name is invoked. And they moved the chest of God on a brand new cart from the house of Abinadad with Uzzah and Ahio in charge. In procession with the chest of God, David and all of Israel worshipped exuberantly in song and dance with a marching band of all kinds of instruments. And when they were at the threshing floor of Kaidan, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah grabbed the chest to keep it from falling off. God erupted in anger against Uzzah and killed him because he grabbed the chest. And he died on the spot in the presence of God. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 gives us insight into that instance. Just a little bit, a little different language. Same story, different language. says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. So Uzzah reached out and grabbed the chest of God. And then he died. Interesting in this account, there's a statement made very early on in First Chronicles. In fact, it's First uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 13, verse 3. It's the one that I read to you in two different versions. Where the Bible says that for a period of time in the rule and reign of Saul, that they didn't seek after the chest of God, the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, you probably remember the story, many of you will, that Saul goes out into battle and thinks it's a good idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant to represent the presence of God. The Ark of Covenant was the seat upon which they would call to God and God would respond. It is how they interacted with God. It is how the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and had interaction with God. And without the Ark of the Covenant, there was no tangible presence of God. There was no cloud of God's presence. There was no covering of God's presence. This was an extremely important piece of furniture for them. It shows and it represents God. And yet, Saul decided that it would be a good idea to take it out into battle one day and they were defeated and the ark was stolen by their enemies and taken into captivity. And the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 verse 3 that it, during the days of Saul, they never even stopped to go after the ark. In fact, out of the version that I read it to you, it says it was out of sight, out of mind. And so David on this particular day decides that it would be very important for the kingdom to go back and get the presence of God. Most commentators believe uh, that, that there's a 20-year period that has taken place, gone by, from the days that the ark was lost until this day when David decides to go and get the presence of God back. 
Now, now, now let that sink in just a moment. 20 years without the presence of God. That, that would be much like you coming to church every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for two decades. And although you know how to raise your hands and although the songs may move you and although you may enjoy the company of the people sitting to next to you now for two straight decades there's never one moment of interaction with God there's never one tangible reality of God that shows up in your services or more importantly in your life for two straight decades no God and worse than that they didn't miss it Out of sight, out of mind, they continue to conduct their business as usual. Saul didn't pursue the ark, but he continued to be the king. So he continued to live in the opulence of the palace. He continued to be surrounded by blessings. He continued to dine on the finest foods and wear the most ornate clothes. He still slept between satin sheets. And yet, every morning when he woke up, much like we would on a bad hair day, we'd slap a ball hat on as if everything was okay. He takes the crown as a symbol of his authority and the covering of God. And he slips it on his head and he's crowned. But he has no covering, no presence of God in his life. And they didn't miss it. His heart had become corroded. You, you, you'll remember our first glimpse of Saul. The Bible says that the children of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. And, and although God had intended them to be a theocracy where God was in control and He would speak through His prophets, now the children of Israel want to be like all the other nations. And they begin to cry out, Oh God, give us a king, give us a king. And so finally He says, Okay, I'll give you what you ask for. How many of you know sometimes God gives us what we ask for and we discover it wasn't what we really needed? Uh, that was free. Uh, they... they, 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 they Beg God and say, give us a king. And so finally God says, I'll give you what you want. And so he says to his prophet Samuel, there's a young man here that's head and shoulders above everybody else. There must be potential in this young man. And I want you to turn and find him and pour the oil on his head and appoint him king. And the Bible says that when they look for Saul, they can't find him because he's hiding in the baggage. And they have to go pull him out from behind all the baggage. Saul, when you first see Saul on the scene, he is completely and totally filled with insecurity. And he never deals with this insecurity in his own life. The issue of insecurity is never dealt with in his life. So now from the day where he hides and will not allow anybody to see him and he doesn't want to be appointed king, you fast forward now all these years later and this insecure young man, his insecurity is now morphed into arrogance. Because how many of you know that when you find somebody that's arrogant, what you really find is that it's just insecurity playing dress up. They're trying to be something they're not. And they're trying to put on a show and act like they all, all that in a bag of chips. And the reality is they're just really insecure. And so you go from this young man that's hiding in the baggage that doesn't want to be king. Now all these years later it's morphed into arrogance. So he comes to this place where in his own life he is living his life as if he doesn't need God at all. I don't need him. The ark is gone. The, the tangible presence of God is gone, and it's been gone, and we can just keep doing life just like we've always done life, and we'll never miss it. See, what, life, what Saul's life teaches us is that you can experience the anointing of God's Spirit, and you can be called out 
And you can be chosen. And then you can get away from that presence and reality. And you may continue to live a blessed life and a content life. But you got to keep reading about his life. Because what you discover is that, 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 that the day will come. That even when you have the crown on your head. You can still wake up lost. And you can still wake up broken. And you can still wake up destroyed. You can come to church week after week after week. And name the, the name of Christ. And have a crown of authority on your head but have no covering in your life. Kind of reminds me of a young man by the name of Samson who would shake himself. And one morning he shakes himself and never realizes that the Spirit of God has exited his life. He's crowned, but he's no longer covered. Sin will bring pleasure, but only for a season. We can sit here and, and we can say, I can do this on my own. And we can declare out of our own lifestyle that I don't need God anymore. And the truth is, you can make it on your own for a while. And then the day will come when you'll wake up and realize that you're no longer covered. See, some of us look like a king and some of us talk like a king and some of us walk like a king and, and, and we want everybody to be convinced that we're, we're a king and you can live your life crowned, but, but if you ever look past the sparkle of the crown and realize that there's no ark there, there's no anointing there, there's no presence there, and you can go about business as usual and you can live your life, life like everything is perfect, but, but you better examine your life carefully and figure out whether or not you got any covering in your life at all. Because you can wake up two decades later and say, I got no presence and no anointing. See, there will be a day when the blessings will end because if you don't have any presence of God in your life, blessings cannot be sustained. My question to you this morning is simply this. How many of you are missing the tangible reality of God's presence in your own life and you haven't even missed it or noticed it? How, how, many, how, how many days, how many weeks, how many months, God forbid, how many decades have gone by since the last time that you really encountered God's presence for yourself? How many, how long has it been since you've hungered for His glory to come? We sing about His glory. God, we're thirsty. Let your spirit fall. Let your glory fall. But how many of us are really hungry for His presence like we once were? I didn't say you weren't coming to church. I'm convinced that many of us continue to live our life like a practical atheist. We believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. We, we, we try to do it on our own. We name the name of Jesus. We're crowned. We're called. But there's no covering. Most of us have an encounter with God and then we walk away from that encounter to never check back in. And I know you were blessed a long time ago. And I know 15 years ago you, you experienced the, the blessings of God on your life. And I know two decades ago you had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I know 16 months ago you had an encounter with God. But my question is, what about today? What about yesterday? Did you have any encounter where the tangible presence of God entered your life? Or did you lose His covering and didn't even know it? I'm concerned that too many of us are living on the dregs of days gone by. 
Anytime we talk to you about, have you encountered God, you immediately want to point to 1922, this happened in my life, or 1962, this happened in my life, or, or 1982. You wouldn't, know, you wouldn't believe what God did in my life in 1982. In 1992, God just exploded on the scene and changed my life in forever. In 2000, but what about now? You can't live on what happened 20 years ago. You can't even live on what happened two months ago. Crown, but no covering. The second thing I notice is this, is that uh, David recognizes the need for God's presence, and the only problem is, is he doesn't seek the mind of God. In fact, what he's really doing, he's just doing what he wants to do the way he wants to do it. And so what happens is this. The Bible says that David goes and gets a cart, and he goes out and finds the ark, and he puts the cart on. Uh, out there in front of all the people and he sets the ark on the, on front of it and the Bible says that the entire procession begins to praise and worship. David's out front leading the, the parade and they're marching and they're dancing and they're shouting and they're giving one another high fives and they're, they're playing all kinds of instruments. They got a drum line out front, front and they're just rocking the house. They're, I mean, they're, they're all excited. But just because everybody's excited and just because everybody's clapping doesn't mean everything is okay. Because here's what I need you to understand this morning. Applause does not equal approval. Let me, let me see. I'm just going to try to help you this morning. See, I, I have a word for somebody this morning. Just because everybody's slapping you on your back and just because everybody's clapping for you and telling you that you're the, the, the best thing since sliced bread and just because everybody's telling you you're the man and everybody's telling you the woman and you're, 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 the, you're the bomb and you're, whatever they're telling you, you're the best thing ever. You're the best Christian I ever met in my whole life. Can I tell you that applause does not always equal approval. In fact, I need you to write this down because I believe that many of us be begin to believe our own hype and we begin to mistake man's approval for God's approval. And I want you to write this statement down because I think it will set you free and it may protect you from making mistakes. I want you to know that if you are not careful, people will clap you right into a catastrophe. And they will cheer you right off the cliff. In fact, it's ridiculous. They will look at you as you begin to make decisions in your life. And if you confuse man's approval with God's approval, then what will happen is you will have people in your life and you'll ask them questions like, you'll be in a great job and God's positioned you in that job and there's a new job that comes open and you'll ask people, should I take that new job? Oh yeah, brother, you're perfect for that job. That job was made for you. Why don't you go and in the back of their mind, even while they're clapping, they're going, if he takes that job in three months, he'll be broke, he'll be fired, and he will hate God. But go take it, brother. It's perfect for you. There are people in your life that will watch you go out and buy a brand new car that you cannot afford. And they know that they know that it's going to bankrupt, bankrupt you. And when you pull up in the driveway all proud of your car, they will never once stop and say, you blew it. No, they go, ooh, that's a beautiful, man, ooh, I'm so happy for you. That's a good, you deserve that car, man. I know you can't make the payments, but you deserve that car, man. Just because people clap and cheer doesn't make it right and doesn't mean that God is approving. 
See, I, I, I need you to understand that some of you are leading the parade, but you're devoid of his approval. And just because everybody around you is saying you're perfect and you're this or you're that, you better stop long enough to check with God. Because unless God stamps that thing with the approval, those people will stand right there and clap you into a catastrophe and watch you go over the edge into destruction, and they'll just keep clapping. Boy, that went over huge. See, man's applause speaks to talent. If you're good at anything, somebody will clap for you. But God's approval speaks to character. And unless you deal with the character of your life, people will clap the whole time you're destroying yourself and everybody around you. Just trying to help. Just talking. The third thing I want to say to you is that David took the path of least resistance. How many of you recognize in this account that David did what was easy? In fact, the truth is, is that, 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 that David was a copycat. You, you know the, the account, the Bible says that Saul loses the ark, the enemies come in, they steal the ark, and it says they put it on a cart and they roll it into captivity. So now David comes along and he sees what worked for them and he decides, well, if it worked for them, it will be okay for me. Hang on. If you didn't like, if you didn't like point two, you're going to hate point three. Because I want you to hear me this morning. Just because it's easy doesn't make it right. Ouch. See, David was like, well, if a cart worked for them, then it would probably be okay for me to use a cart too. But easy doesn't always equal right. Too many of us do the same thing. We, we see others live a certain way, and then we go, well, if it worked for them, then it must be right, so it must be okay if I live like that too. Like, they shacked up, and, and so it worked, and now three years later, they, they're still in love, and they, they, they even went before the judge and made it right. So because it worked for them, then it must be okay for me. And no, I didn't stop and ask God, but it worked for them, so it must be right. Well, I, it's easy for me to put my credit card on the counter and pay for something that I cannot afford. But that don't make it right. Shoot, y'all are staring at me. They didn't pay their taxes and they didn't get caught. And look at all the extra money they got because they didn't pay our sorry government their taxes. They, nobody caught them. They don't have any IRS agents on their steps. So, so it must be all right. I'll steal They didn't tithe. And look, I know you've been preaching, Pastor, that if we don't tithe, we won't be blessed. But look at them. They didn't tithe, and they seem to be blessed, and they seem to be prosperous. So since that, that's probably easier, then that's how I live. Because it worked for them, it'll probably work for me, so it must be okay. They don't work hard at work. They come in late. 
they play solitaire on their computer all day long, and then and they 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 don't work at all, and the boss never seems to figure it out, and they continue to get promoted. And here I am clocking in early, staying late, doing everything I can do, and I don't get blessed. So what I'm going to do now is because it worked for them, it would be much easier for me to do what they do. Now I it must be right. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to work late, and I'm going to play solitaire all day, and then that'll probably work for me too. Just cause it's easy. doesn't make it right see it may be easy to leave the work of your marriage for the excitement of another relationship but that doesn't make it right it may be easy to spend more than you make but that doesn't make it right it may be easy to avoid confrontation but that doesn't make it right See, walking upright is seldom easy. In fact, I want you to hear me this morning. Right is almost always accompanied by resistance. In fact, if you go dig through the Old Testament, what you will discover is that most of the time when the Bible starts declaring that people were blessed by God, there's this statement. They did what was right in the eyes of God. And we go, well, man, that's great. They did what was right. It must have been easy. No, it wasn't. You go do the digging and you discover that most of the time when God said they did right in the eyes of God, it was because they did stuff that was hard, like tearing down their daddy's idols like cleaning out the temple of prostitutes and like getting rid of thieves and that ain't easy y'all the easy thing to do would have been to ignore all that stuff but God said they did what was right in the eyes of God and they would do difficult things and they were blessed in fact Moses as the children of Israel are approaching the promised land one of his final calls to them is punctuated by this statement Do what is right in the eyes of God. When you reflect on the story of Saul and David, what you discover is that in a lot of ways, David was a lot more messed up than Saul. Saul had his issues, don't get me wrong. But when you really begin to read about their lives, David was just jacked up. His family was dysfunctional. He was impulsive. And yet, he continued to be blessed. Why? Because when David was called by God, God makes a statement to Samuel and says this about David. He will do what is right and what I tell him to do. Now, he didn't do it this time. But more times than not, David would take the difficult path rather than the easy path because he believed that if, he, if God said to do it, you've got to do it. I'm just trying to help you because here's my, here's my cry to you this morning. Society will celebrate for you the easy way. But that doesn't make it right. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is I want to encourage you. See, the first three points about, about uh, uh, applause doesn't equal approval, uh, easy doesn't make it right and, and and the first one which is the crown doesn't equal covering those those things are challenging you about how you live you need to evaluate how you're living your life 
If you want to be blessed, if you don't want to have a situation in your own life like what I've just read to you out of the scripture where there's this disaster, then you better examine how you're living your life and discover, am I really approved by God or are people just clapping me into destruction? Am I always doing the easy thing or am I doing the right thing? Am I encountering God on a regular basis? Am I crowned with no cover? You've got to evaluate your own life. But the last thing I want to do is I want to encourage some of you that are going through some tough times. Because there are some folks in here that continue to do the right thing and it's not easy. And they find that over and over and over again it seems like they've been hit with more than they can bear and they're struggling. And so I just want to end by encouraging you this morning because I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that bumps are prepared. Let Let me see if I can explain. The Bible says that the threshing floor where the bump happens, according to 2 Samuel chapter 6, what is, was it took place at a place called Nacon, N-A-C-O-N. Nacon was the name of the, the place, the threshing floor where, where the bump took place. Do you know what Nacon means? Prepared. That's what it means. Uh, In other words, what God is trying to teach us here is that your bump is prepared for you. So so what what you're saying, Pastor Steve, is that God likes to knock us down? Thanks a lot. That's really encouraging. Is he a mean God? Does God just like to knock us off our feet and and, and cause us to fall down and fall flat on our face and embarrass us? So you're saying God prepares these things for us and now I'm struggling with this shot I've been taking, this, this pain I've been enduring. You're saying that God does that on purpose? Yes. Are you encouraged yet? He prepares a bump for us. Because God doesn't want us to arrive at places that we cannot occupy. That ought to encourage you this morning. If you are being bumped in life, It is an indication that God is working on you because he does not want you to arrive in locations that you cannot possess. And therefore, what he's doing is he's working on you and he's digging things out of you. He bumps us, in fact, to reveal our lack. Because if we don't, if we're not bumped, we begin to believe that we can do this all by ourselves. And so God will prepare bumps in our lives so that he can show us that we can't make it without him. In fact, I want to say to you this morning, don't despise the bump. You need to understand that God prepares bumps to shake us. Otherwise, we would trick ourselves into thinking that everything is okay and that God is approving of the way that we're living because everything is going so smoothly. Does anybody else in here like it when your life goes smoothly? I like my life to go smoothly. I want my car to start every time I turn the key. I want my kids to behave themselves and to make straight A's. I want my wife to... Never mind. I want meals to be good. I want. I, I, oh, I'm, there's going to be a bump. I'm going to get bumped. Oh, Lord. Lord. I stumbled right into a bump. Lord. I want my dog to obey. I want I want cat to come home every time I hear kitty kitty. I want that ain't never going to happen either. I, I want life to be smooth. The dilemma is, is, is if life is always smooth, 
then we honestly come to the place where we think we don't need God. And so here, listen carefully, two statements. God prepares bumps so that we don't prepare excuses. Listen to this. And prepared bumps keep God from having to prepare rescues. Y'all missed it. Let me see if I can help you. Because see, this is how it goes. We're living life as if everything is okay, and we're spending more than we're making, spending more than we're making, spending more than we're making, and God will prepare a bump to wake us up. We'll get the letter in the mail that says, this is your balance. You owe this. And it bumps us to awake. We go, oh, i got to quit doing that. Or we ignore the bump. And when we ignore the bump, then what happens is 18 months later, we get the letter that says, you're bankrupt. And now what we want God to do is prepare a rescue. And if we would have paid attention to the bumps, he would have never had to prepare. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. I, I'm just telling you, some of you in your marriage relationship right now, God has been sending bumps, and you're having issues. And if you would uh, respond and recognize that God loves you so much that he's trying to come to, 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 to keep you from reaching the point of disaster that he's sending bumps and if you would wake up and recognize the bump and look at your spouse right now and say we need to go get help now and we need to go get counseling now and we need to go get some advice now if we would quit ignoring the bumps instead what we do is we want to ignore the bumps and get mad at God for sending bumps and so now six months later we're standing in front of the judge saying let's end this thing because God we just ignored the bumps You don't have to. See, we think our life is okay. We think our relationships are okay. We thought the habit was unnoticed. We think the attitude is overlooked. And what God does is he prepares a bump to reveal that there are certain situations in our life that, 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 that we've got to deal with. Why? Because if we are to handle and contain the glory of God, then we must confront and shake off the things that keep us from being clean. That's what this bump was all about. Was God trying to get the attention of the children of Israel that you can't treat me like this, and you can't live like this, and you can't act like everything's okay when it's not. And so I'm going to bump you and to, to get your attention, to get you back into relationship. We think our bump not only took us surprise, we think our bumps take God by surprise. But I want you to understand this morning that the bump that you're going through right now didn't take God by surprise. In fact, I, I'm going to blow some of your minds and tell you that God may have prepared that bump. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, there's a bump coming. There's a bump coming. See, the bounce helps us to get everything back in order and in line so we can't fight it. We shouldn't be scared of it. We can't get mad about it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get angry about it. Instead, what we ought to do is we ought to appreciate it because if we fail to, to respond to the bump, then there's only one other option God has, and that is he prepared a bump and we ignored it. So now, if God can't get our attention with a bump, God will get our attention with an explosion. 
That's the story that happens here. In fact, if you go read, the Bible says that to this day, they, in First Chronicles, they tell us that the place where Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, you know what they call that to, to this day? Perez Uzzah. You know what that means? They call the place Perez Uzzah. You know what it means? Exploded Uzzah. It gives you a, a word picture of what happened at that moment because he ignored what God had said to do and did it in his own way, and he ignored the bump. He reaches out and touches the ark. That God exploded all over Uzzah, and I'm just trying to help you to understand that if you ignore the bumps that God sends and designs and prepares and puts in front of you, and you don't wake up, and it doesn't rattle you to your attention, his only other option is to prepare an explosion. And how many of you know it's better to be bumped than exploded? Just, just trying to help you. Yeah. See, God can stop our parade anytime He wants to. But He chooses to send little bumps to get our attention until we ignore the little bumps for so long that the only option He has is to explode us. See, if you're still being bumped, I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're still being bumped, still struggling, still having hard moments, situations arise that continue to rattle you a little bit, you ought to be thankful. Because what that means is that it's an indication that God has new levels of glory and blessing for you to experience, but He cannot let you arrive in these new levels with your old level of faith, your old relationship, and a low degree of holiness. That's what it was all about. So my question to you is this. Have you been bounced lately? Has your world been shaken recently? Don't despise the bounce, even if the bounce produced death, because the bounce is simply God's attempt to rattle you back to relationship. Because when you go read the rest of the story, when Uzzah explodes, the Bible says that David is so destroyed in his own spirit that he goes back and for months he seeks the heart and the mind of God. And this man that once knew the heart of God is forced to go back and get into his presence again and have a fresh encounter with God. And what you're going through is simply God's attempt to get you to pay attention to him again. And so two groups of people here this morning. One, there are some folks here this morning that need to examine how you're living your life. I challenge you this morning. Are you crowned or are you covered? Are people applauding for you? Or is God approving of how you're living? Are you doing what's easy? Are you doing what's right? And then the second group of people are people that are sitting under the sound of my voice that feel like their world is falling out from under them and the rug has been jerked out from under them and you're being bumped over and over and over again. And I just came to encourage you to tell you, just hang on, baby, because God has prepared that for you to get your attention if you'll just hang on. And you'll allow it to turn you towards God instead of away from God. It can change your life. Father, this morning, I pray for each person under the sound of my voice. There are folks here today who need to examine their lives. God, I I stand here today and I examine my own life. 
And I ask you this morning that you would clearly turn a searchlight on our soul. God, I pray that if there's one in this room today that has been crowned but no longer has your covering, I pray that you would expose that for what it really is. I pray that if it's been a long, long time since they've encountered the presence of God, I pray that if it's been months since they've tasted the tangible presence of God, I pray that they would begin to pursue you again. God, I I ask you in our own lives that we would evaluate if if we're in the same situation that the children of Israel were in. God God I pray for those under the sound of my voice that people are clapping for them and approving of what they're doing but God I pray this morning you would reveal to us whether or not we've substituted man's approval for your approval and they may be cheering for us but if you don't approve then we need to change God, I know there's some folks in here that are doing what's easy. But this morning, I pray that you would call them back to what's right. Right is never easy. And I pray that you would cause some folks in this room to become strong and have the courage necessary to face resistance to do what's right. It, it, it would be easier to keep doing what we're doing. It would be easier to just give in. It would be easier to quit. It would be easier to give up. It would be easier to cheat. It would be easier to lie. It would be easier to steal. It would be easier to be lazy. But Father, this morning what I pray that instead of all that easiness, what we would do is we would begin to do what's right in the eyes of God. And when everybody else is celebrating easy, I pray that in this room, in this congregation, in this church, in this family, you would find some folks that would do what's right at any price. In our own personal lives, we would do what's right. Even when it's hard. Even when it means going to counseling. Even when it means doing what we don't feel like doing. Even when it means making difficult decisions. Even when it's something we don't like we would do what's right in your eyes first in Jesus name and Father I pray for those under the sound of my voice that have been bumped there are some in this room right now that are going through some unbelievable things and they almost have come to the conclusion that it took you by surprise they didn't see it coming they wouldn't have chosen this path this is not what they wanted to live through But Father, this morning, I pray that you would speak directly to their spirit and you would whisper to them, it was prepared. It was prepared. It was prepared. I knew it was coming and I was just setting you up to draw your attention back to me. God, I pray this morning that the bumps that you send our way, we would respond to them and we would recognize and adjust so that you don't have to prepare a rescue instead. We don't want to miss the bump and end up in an explosion. We want to respond to that prepared place so that we find ourselves in your presence again would you stand with me this morning and would you sing this and mean it would you check right now to make sure that everything is right between you and God
Father, finally, I ask you this simple thing. I pray over every person here that in the coming days there would be a new level of desire, a new level of desperation, a renewed sense of hunger for your presence. I pray that not one day would go by where we are satisfied with simply being called with looking like a king being able to talk like a king but not having your covering Father we learn from today's passage that even David couldn't bring the presence of God back by himself it took everybody he called for the presence of God but it took the entire nation to usher the presence of God back. And Father, today I simply pray this individually but also corporately that together we would become consumed by a desire for your presence and we would stop at nothing short of your glory and your covering over our lives, over our families, over our children, over our jobs, over our school, over this church over our community make us hungry and desperate again for you we don't want to go through the motions one more Sunday one more Monday one more Thursday one more Saturday without your tangible presence in our lives Make us hungry again, I pray. In Jesus' name. Would you look at your neighbor quickly and ask them this question. Are you crowned or are you covered? And then you may be seated as Pastor Woody comes. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.